you may turn to Isaiah 55 if you're not already there. Isaiah 55. Now, I know what I'm about to say is going to give Steve a whole lot of ammunition against me, but I'm going to tell you something that's the truth. The older I get, there's something that's started to happen. Uh, more and more frequently, uh, almost every week that I live, I lose something. I misplace something. I can't find it. I know it's there. I put it somewhere, but I have no idea where it is. And so I spend, you know what I'm talking about, brother? So I spend weeks and weeks and weeks sometimes trying to find this thing, uh, and I need it. It's not something I'm just looking for. I really need this thing, but for whatever reason, I simply can't find it. Now, if I'm diligent enough, sooner or later, I come across it, and I feel a great sense of relief that I finally found this thing that I was looking for. By the way, just to be clear, I only misplace things. I don't lose them. Old people lose things. I don't lose things. I just misplace things, all right? So just to make that clarification for you. Uh, if you were here on Easter Sunday, then you might have come over after the service and seen all these little kids running around here. Uh, I'm going to take this off and hold it. Is it going to be okay if I do that? Okay. If I'm going to walk, I'm going to have a problem. There, that's better. Uh, if you saw all these kids running around over here looking for Easter eggs, they were on a search. They were looking for something. Well, that's what the message is all about this morning. Uh, we are talking about searching. Uh, whether we're talking about a misplaced article that I've put somewhere, I don't know where it's at. Whether we're talking about a, a, a classic Easter egg the kids are looking for, uh, there is a search going on in the life of every person on earth. Every person is on a search. Uh, before a person trusts Jesus Christ as Savior, uh, some people are not completely aware that they're on this search. They don't know about it. Uh, most, if they're aware that they are seeking, if you ask them, uh, they couldn't tell you what they're looking for. Uh, they might tell you that they're, uh, if you confront them about the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, they may not even know that's what they're seeking. And once they come face to face with Jesus Christ, uh, their response to him is going to determine if their search continues or if their search ends at that point. One way or another, when they confront Jesus Christ, their reaction to him is either going to end or continue their search. And then a person's quest for God continues whether they know, know it or not, and they, that quest will continue until they find Jesus Christ as a Savior or die without him and wind up in a place called hell. One way or another, that search is going to go on until they make a decision about Jesus Christ. Uh, people are predestined to seek after Jesus Christ. Every person born has within them the need and the, the direction to seek after him. And so that search starts, and that part of the search ends when you meet Jesus Christ as Savior. However, the search does not stop at salvation. There are some very important things a person must still need, needs to seek for, even, after, even though their eternal destiny is settled. Uh, after salvation, there are some other things we need to seek for as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, that does not become something that's going to keep, get us to heaven or not. That's settled. But in terms of living like God wants us to live, that search has to continue on. Now, we will never be completely fulfilled in our Christian life. We'll never please the Lord completely until we find the things God wants us to seek after, specifically. Well, the passage that John read part of it for you this morning, that passage is all about seeking and finding. In fact, verse 6 says that very clearly. Seek the Lord is what it says. Uh, that passage is all about that. God has laid out for us in this passage this morning the things that are necessary for us to seek for if we want to please him, if we want to have a fully functioning Christian life. And the setup for this passage gives us a logical progression of the things that we are to seek after. Again, God always has a plan. God's plan is always ordered. And God's plan is always logical. And so to do what God wants us to do, we must follow certain steps. And we've got to follow the plan the way he's laid it out for us to follow. If we ever begin to seek for the things of the Lord outside of the order that he has placed upon us, it'll never work the way it's supposed to work. God has a plan 
follow God's plan, you can't lose following the plan of God. And if you will do that, if you follow it, if you conduct your search the way God wants you to, you'll experience the same feeling that I experience every time I find that misplaced thing that I've been looking for for weeks and weeks and weeks. And life can proceed on the way it's supposed to, and we will have the sense to know that we are walking in his way, we are truly a part of his plan. So this morning, I want us to look at the search. And we're going to cover everybody in this place this morning. Somewhere you're going to find yourself in the search that we're looking at this morning. And the promise is, if we'll complete this search, if we'll do it the way God wants us to do it, we'll find ourselves in the direct will of God, and his blessing will be upon us and upon our lives. The search is outlined for us in the passage. It has four steps. Each step builds on the step before, so we need to look at each one in, in, uh, in order in order to understand. You can't complete step two until you've completed step one, and so forth and so on. And so, if you're listening, if you're unsaved here this morning, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, that is where you start your search. And then everything follows after that. If you're saved, other things to search for after that. So look again, if you would, at Isaiah chapter 55, and look at verse 1. It says there, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me, hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Here's where the search starts. The search starts with salvation. The search starts with salvation. That is what every person on earth is seeking for, whether they know it or not. That's what they're looking for. If you're unsaved here today, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, then you may give different names to what you're searching for. You may give it all kinds of different labels. You may say you're seeking for fulfillment in life. You may say you're seeking for meaning in life. You may say that you're looking for peace or contentment or purpose in your life. You may say any of those things. But no matter what label you put to it, what you are really seeking for is to be reconciled with your Creator. That's what you want. You are really God's creation, and as God's creation, you need to be in right relationship with Him. And no matter where else you may look, you only find what you seek after in the person of Jesus Christ, the only one who can satisfy that. Now, in the first three verses of this chapter, what I just read to you, we might have what we call the gospel according to Isaiah. In these three verses, we have presented for us the good news of God's salvation from Isaiah's vantage point. And we need to get the picture this morning that is presented in these three verses. Think about God sitting on a, on a busy street, and he's, looking, he's standing there and watching all these people go by, thousands, millions of people going by. And as God stands there watching those folks go by, he stands on that corner, stands in that doorway, and offers them something. What does he offer? Well, I want you to see it in the passage this morning. He's offering four things. What he is saying is, come to me, come over where I am, walk into my presence, and you'll find all that you're seeking for. Walk in my ways, do what I command you to do, and you'll find everything that you're searching for. What does he offer? Look at verse 1 again. He says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth. The first thing he offers is water for the thirsty. He offers water for the thirsty. You've all had the experience, I'm sure, of being thirsty. Maybe being in a place and you couldn't find any water, or there was a long time before you got there, and you just weren't sure if you could make it much longer without having a drink. Uh, and depending on where we are, we search up and down that place with, for, looking for an opportunity to quench our thirst. That's the picture God is giving here of those folks walking by him. 
in a spiritual sense, every person has an unquenchable thirst that can only be satisfied through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And God offers that water to everyone who will come to him. Turn to John chapter 4, if you would. Go to John chapter 4, a very familiar passage for most of you, I'm sure. In this passage, John chapter 4, Jesus Christ has a conversation with a woman at a well. And as he sat at the well that day, uh, she thought he was talking about physical water. And it wasn't that at all. That's not at all what he was referring to. Look at verse 13, if you would, of John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus Christ says to that woman, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I'm not talking about physical water, Jesus Christ says. I'm talking about eternal water. I'm talking about everlasting water. Look at the woman's response in verse 15. She says, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She got it. She understood he was, he was offering to her more than just a drink from that well. She understood he was offering her to quench the thirst of her soul, not just her body, but her soul. And that's what you need before, if you're not saved here this morning, and that's what you needed before you got saved. That's what you found in Jesus Christ. When you got saved, if you're saved here this morning, you had your spiritual thirst quenched. That search for relief from that horrible thirst ended. If you're unsaved here this morning, in Jesus Christ, you will find living water that will quench your spiritual thirst forever. You'll never need another drink. He'll satisfy you. So as God stands there watching those folks walk by, he says to them, come and drink from my well, for in it you're going to find eternal relief from the spiritual thirst that you have. But look at verse 1 again. That's not all that he offers. He says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Not only does he offer them water to drink, he offers them food to eat. He offers food to the hungry. Uh, throughout Scripture, God has, has likened what he offers us spiritually in salvation to what we need physically. God made our bodies to need food. It's the source of energy for us, and without it, we eventually cease to function. And spiritually speaking, it is the exact same thing. Without spiritual food, eventually a person ceases to function spiritually. Every person born onto this earth has a gnawing hunger for the things of God, a gnawing hunger for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And their focus is, getting on, is on getting relief from that spiritual hunger, the hunger pangs that they feel. You're in the book of John. Look at John chapter 6. Flip over there again, if you would. John chapter 6. Jesus Christ came to the people. He presented himself in many different ways. But in John chapter 6, he presents himself in a specific way. Look at John chapter 6 and verse 35. John chapter 6, verse 35. He, and Jesus said unto them, I am, what? The bread of life. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. That's what he says. He that cometh unto me shall never hunger. The spiritual appetite is met when the Lord Jesus Christ is invited in. Those spiritual hunger pangs that torment people and, and cause them to look in all the wrong places for relief can be quieted with just, just one encounter from the Savior. Just getting close to him, knowing him. If you're lost here this morning 
the Father stands on that street today and calls out to you as you pass by, and he says to you, are you hungry? Stop here. Are you in need of spiritual food? Here's the place. I can give you what nobody else on earth can give you. You've looked in all places for it, and you've not found it. I can give it to you this morning. I can give you bread that in one serving will pacify your hunger for all of eternity. But not only does he give that, he gives water to the thirsty. He gives food to the hungry. Look at verse 1 again. Look at the end of that verse. He says, buy wine and milk without money and without price. What does he give? He also gives riches to the poor. He gives riches to the poor. God calls out. He calls to those who have no money, and yet he tells them to buy anyway. He says, you've got nothing in your pockets, but here, buy this from me. How can they do that? They have no way to do that. They have no way to buy what he's offering. But the fact is, they have no reason. Uh, the fact is, there's no reason for them to buy it because it's already been paid for, you see. I didn't have to pay for anything when I got saved. It was already paid for. I didn't have to have money in my pocket and offer that to him for salvation. I didn't have to do any of that. No good works, nothing. It was already paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's why he says, buy this. How? Because you, I've already paid for it for you. Instead of a lost person somehow coming up with the finances they need to purchase God's salvation, God buys it for them and gives them all of his riches besides. I love this verse. You may know it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. One of the greatest verses in all the scripture to tell you what Jesus Christ did the moment we got saved. By God's grace, he who was rich expended all that he had and became poor, so that we who were spiritually poor may through no effort of our own and no resources of our own become eternally rich in Jesus Christ. A person who has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior has all of the riches of heaven at their disposal. Everything that God has is yours this morning. That's what he says. That's an amazing thought. There's no way for your mind to somehow comprehend that. And not only does everything that God have belong to a child of God, but he wants to give you all things that he has. He wants you to have it all. Paul said this in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. He says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Believer, listen to me. You've got all things in Jesus Christ today. Everything that you need, you have. Things that you didn't even know you need, you have. And then beyond all your needs, God supplies you with blessing after blessing after blessing just because he loves you and just because you know him. What a Savior. What a salvation we have this morning. He offers that to everybody. An amazing thing. Romans 9.23 says this, that it is the desire of God's heart to bestow upon his children all of his riches so that the world might understand who he is and might know the grace that he offers to every person. He blesses you so that by you being blessed, people might see what God can do for a lost soul. That's why he does it. Philippians 4.19, he says that through God's riches and glory, he will supply your every need on this earth. Can I tell you something this morning? I don't know who you are. I don't know what your need is this morning. But I can tell you this. Whatever your need is today, Jesus Christ can supply it. I don't care. I don't even have to know what it is. What I know is this. All the riches of glory are ours. All those riches are available when we have a need that, that God sees. And so no matter what that need is, those riches are given by God to us, and he supplies that need for us. I don't care what it is. 
Glory to God for being a child of God this morning. <laughs> what a glorious thing. Our needs are met through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his infinite wealth, every desire that I have in my heart can be satisfied. And God offers that freely to every person who will turn into where he stands, will end their search, and will accept what he offers to them. What does he offer to us this morning? He offers us water for the thirsty, food for the hungry, money for those who have no money. And then keep reading, if you would, in verse 2. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. You know what he's also offering this morning? He's offering rest to the weary. Rest to the weary. As he watches these millions of people pass by in their search, what he sees is their constant labor of trying to do what they can to satisfy themselves. He sees them working to find fulfillment, especially when no matter how much effort is expended, they still find no satisfaction. If you're lost here this morning, if you're listening and you're lost today, God the Father calls out to you as you pass by, and he's telling you there is no need to labor anymore. Let the labor go. You no longer have to work on this search or to find peace and contentment. And that's because, again, just like all the riches are ours, the work has already been done. The work has already been done. He labored right up until the time he was placed upon that cross, and the work continues on the cross, the work continued on the cross until every requirement of God was satisfied. And when the plan was completed, what did he say? It is finished. It is finished. The work's done. Nothing more needs to be done. With that cry, the work was done. The labor was ended. There was no further work that needed to be done or could be done. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, did it all. He did all the work through the cross of Jesus Christ. So then he makes this invitation to you. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. You may be weary this morning. It doesn't matter. God has rest for you today. You may be tired of the search. You can stop searching. You found what you're looking for. It's found in Jesus Christ. You see, there was work to be done. Work needed to happen. But you see, it was not our work that was needed to be done. Salvation is all by grace. That means I don't have to do anything to earn it. And the reason for that is because the work on my side has already been taken care of by the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came here in work clothes. And he came to do the work that only he could do by the only one who met God's requirements. I couldn't do it, but Jesus Christ could. So if you try to work anymore, what you're trying to do is add to what Jesus Christ has already done. And there's no purpose, no need to do that. It's all done. Now is the time of rest. You can now stop the search and lay yourself in Jesus Christ and trust his blood for your salvation. And the search is over and you can rest. You can rest. The saving work has been accomplished. No man, no woman, no boy, no girl will ever find peace and contentment until they end their search at the foot of the cross. Folks, I want to tell you something. Satan's trying to keep you from hearing this this morning. Do you see what just happened? Talking about the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ and a horn starts blowing. That was not coincidence. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ, folks. Keep your eyes focused on the Word. Don't let anything distract you this morning. He's got a word for you. I didn't have to do the work. He did it. You don't have to do the work. He did it. If you're lost here today, you can end your search. 
Now, you may continue to search if you want to, and you may find some things that satisfy for the moment, but the search truly ends when there is a face-to-face confrontation with God's Son, and His saving work is accepted. And the search ends. Now, I say the search ends. What I mean by that is, if all I ever find in this life is life in Jesus Christ, I have found all that I need. It's settled. Eternal life is provided. My eternal destiny is settled. And my life on earth now has purpose and meaning to it. So with salvation, that part of the search ends. But it's not the desire for us to stop seeking. It's not the desire for us to stop searching. There are some other things that God wants us to seek after, and no one can find those things until they first find Jesus Christ. But once you find Jesus Christ as Savior, and then then you begin to seek for some things after salvation that have nothing all to do with your salvation, but they will help you live a life that God wants you to live the way he wants you to live it. They have a, these things have, are, are the part of, their, of, of your life that make you live like Jesus Christ. So after salvation, what is the next thing we seek after? Drop down to verse 6, if you would. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6. He says there, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Look at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Look at verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. What's the next thing you search for as a believer in Jesus Christ? You now know Jesus Christ as Savior. What do you search for? You search for God's ways. You search for God's ways. Now, you can never find the ways of God until you have the salvation of God. There are folks who are trying to live like Jesus Christ, live the the, the Christian life, but they're not saved. You can't do it. It's impossible to do that. But once you know Jesus Christ as Savior, he wants you to walk in his ways. There are many reasons why God saved us. One of the primary reasons God saved us is something we've been talking about since the first part of this year. We are saved to show Jesus Christ in our lives to other people on this earth. They need to see Jesus Christ. They're going to see Jesus Christ in you. I want to remind you that if you know Jesus Christ as Savior today, you are a Christian, a Christ one. You are to look, act, talk, think like Jesus Christ. You are to appear like Jesus Christ on this earth. We are to walk like Jesus Christ walked. Now, there are two ways to do that, two aspects of this walking in someone's ways that we are called to do with God. First of all, walking in someone's ways can mean to walk with the same ultimate goal that they have. Suppose one of your children aspires to have the same career you do, the same lifestyle you have. If that's the case, then we can say they're walking in your ways. They're seeking to do what you do with some ultimate purpose. But walking in somebody's ways can also be a very daily, practical thing as well. If my daughters decide to walk in my ways, it could also mean they develop the same habits and the same way of doing things that I do. And both of those aspects ultimately refer to what God is talking about here, a behavior that develops as a person walks in the ways of someone else. These are what we are to seek for as, we, as children of God. What is your ultimate goal as a child of God this morning? I can tell you from Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. That verse says we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. What is your ultimate goal this morning? You are to be like Jesus Christ. Be like him. At the end of your life, people would look at your life or think back on your life, and they could say, the older they got, the more they looked like Jesus Christ. They could say, the longer that I knew them, the more they reminded me of the Savior. That should be the testimony of every believer. That is the way God designed for us to walk, and we should spend all of our days seeking that as our ultimate goal in this life. But God also wants us to walk in his ways 
and in a daily way as well. There are only two ways to walk in this world. We can either walk God's way or we can walk our own way. There's no other choices. Only two ways, God's way or your way. Uh, 205 times in the Word of God, God uses that word way. Isn't that interesting? God has a great deal of concern about the way that you take and how you walk. Uh, He also identifies the problems that come if we choose not to walk in His ways. And He makes it clear in His Word, you can only please God by walking in His ways. You can't please Him any other way. You might as well stop trying. It's not going to happen. That's the only way to do it. It's also clear in Scripture that if you choose not to walk in His ways, His blessing is removed from you, and you are out of fellowship with Him. Turn to the book of Proverbs, if you would. Go to the book of Proverbs. One of the main books of the Old Testament that talks about walking in God's ways is this book of Proverbs written by the wisest man who ever lived. Look at Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. And when you get there, we're going to read verse 13. I actually go to verse 12. We'll start at verse 12. Proverbs 2.12. The Bible says, To deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh forward things, who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the frowardness of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and they froward in their paths. There is a description of a man who is walking in his own ways. And please notice the results. His mouth speaks wrong things. His way is in darkness. He delights in evil things. His way doesn't get him anywhere. And his way is crooked. (laughs) That's the way a man walks in his own ways. That's the way a person walks in their own ways. If I choose to walk in my own ways, that's what it's going to look like right there. Look just like that. I will look like somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior if I walk in my ways. Look at chapter 3, Proverbs 3. Very familiar verses. Verse 4. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. There is a picture of a person walking in the ways of God. Not in, the way, in their own ways, but rather in God's ways. Uh, they have committed all their ways to the Lord, and as a result of that, their life is guided by the Lord, and his, their lives bring glory to him, and they accomplish what the Lord wants them to accomplish. So, How do you want to live this morning, believer? Do you want to walk in your own ways? If you choose to do that, you're going to be crooked and deceitful and won't be upright, and your ways will take you to all sorts of places where God doesn't want you to go. Or you can walk in God's ways. You walk in God's ways, he'll take you right on the path he has for you. And all the blessings of God are on that path. Now, you may not always see him. Sometimes what God does is not necessarily what we want him to do. But it doesn't matter. God always knows what's best. His ways are always right. So we walk in our ways and live a life of evil, walk in God's ways and live a life of glory and honor to him. And every day you wake up, you decide which way you're going to walk. Every day. It's a daily decision, sometimes a moment-by-moment decision. And at the end of every day, the choice that you make will determine how your life looks for that day. So I want to walk in God's ways. That's my desire. How do I do that? Well, that takes us to the next thing that we are to search for. Look at verse 8, if you would, again. Isaiah 55 and verse 8. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thought, I lost my place. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, God, so I want you to walk in my ways. 
How do I walk in God's ways? I have to seek God's thoughts. I have to seek God's thoughts. There's a principle in the Word of God that's very clear. Our behavior is determined by our thoughts. What you think about is going to determine what you do. Everything that you do before you do it, good or bad, you first have a thought about it. And you either choose to abide by that thought or reject that thought. Here's what the Bible says about all people in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7. It says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. However you think is what's going to show up. Whatever your thought life is, is what your behavior is going to look like. Your behavior begins in your thought life. That is why Satan is so intent upon getting a hold of our thoughts. That's why he is so effective in working through movies and TV and books and magazines and the Internet. Because Satan knows what we often choose to be ignorant of, that if he can get in and affect your thoughts, he'll determine your behavior. If he can change your thoughts, he can change your behavior. He can direct your behavior through your thoughts. He'll have Christians watch movies that use God's name and present all sorts of foul language and immorality. And he knows that if they see that enough of that, they'll become desensitized to it and work less, be less active and work against that which God condemns. That's why you have a TV show come on. And it's funny. It's entertaining. It's exciting. And in the middle of that TV show, they'll insert some homosexual character. And he knows that the many Christians will watch that thing and will become less concerned about the sin of homosexuality because that TV show suddenly changes how they think. Watch your thoughts. Watch your thoughts. If I don't guard my thoughts, eventually my behavior will change. That's just, that's, you're not going to change. That's a law. You're not going to change that. That's just true. Now, there are many believers who think they are strong enough to combat that. They think that whatever the devil throws at them, they can sort of pass it by. They may believe that they can allow their thoughts to roam wherever they want them to roam and that they'll still be okay, that they can expose themselves to the filth and the philosophies of this world and still behave like a child of God. They're fooling themselves. They're fooling themselves. No Christian, I don't care who you are, don't care how long you've been saved, no Christian is strong enough to allow the devil's philosophy and beliefs to occupy their mind without changing their behavior at some point. It's going to change you. It may change you subtly, but it's going to change you. It has to. That's how it works. No Christian is strong enough to do that. No Christian is strong enough to stand against that. Uh, at some point in time, if I allow the devil's philosophy to infiltrate my mind, it's going to change my behavior. And if it hasn't happened yet, don't fool yourself. It'll happen at some point. It's going to happen sooner or later. Paul gives us a very clear description of the spiritual battle that we're in when it comes to our minds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, he says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Every thought. That means before you think... I'm going to mess Facebook up. That means before you, before you think something, before you think something, you better check it to see who's motivating that thought. Before you do something, you better check to see what thought motivated that action. You better evaluate your thoughts constantly. Because if you don't, if you don't, Satan's going to grab onto that thing and get you to do something that he wants you to do. Spiritual warfare, believer, begins in your mind. That's where it starts. And it affects everything else you do after that. So how do I keep my behavior from looking like that of the world? How do I keep my behavior from looking like that of a lost person? Romans 12.2 tells me I'm not to conform myself to the world, and that happens as my mind is transformed. When my thoughts are right, then my behavior is right. When my mind is transformed, then my behavior will also be different from that of the world. 
What we think about on a daily basis is going to determine what I am and what I do. So I need to be very careful and very aware of where my thoughts go and what I'm exposing my mind to. Because they are the key to what, what, what I will live for, and they'll be the key to what's important to me. Now, look at verse 8. Verse 8 is a very discouraging verse, if you read it just alone like that. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my, your ways my ways, saith the Lord. God says, No matter how hard you try to think like me, you can't do it. No matter how hard you try to walk like me, it's impossible for you in your own strength to do it that way. Your thoughts are not my thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. So how can I, as this sinful creature with this sinful mind and this old sin nature, get myself to the point where I think like God thinks, and therefore I behave like God behaves? Well, that comes with the final point of the search. Number four, look at verse 10. Verse 10. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, watch it now, so shall my word be that which goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. If you underline your Bible, you might want to underline those two words, my word, my word. Get a hold of that. My word, he says. How do I get my thoughts right? How do I get my ways right? I get my thoughts and my ways right as I seek the word of God. As I seek the word of God. And look at the connection between verse 9 and verses 10 and 11. He says, the heavens are higher than the earth. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. But then, my word, my word. God says, my ways are higher than yours. My thoughts are higher than yours. It's impossible for you through your own efforts to think and behave like God. But here comes the promise. What you cannot do, I'll do for you. What, I can, what you cannot do, my word can do for you. That which is impossible for you to accomplish can be accomplished through a sincere dedication to the word of God. I know we talk a lot about this. You may get tired of hearing about it. I'm sorry about that. You're going to keep hearing about it. <laughs> As you read the Word of God, as you apply the principles that you find in the Word of God, you begin to think like God thinks. That book is God's mind in written form. If you want to know God's mind, get into the Word of God and read that book, and you'll find out exactly how God thinks. You'll walk in His ways. You'll think like God thinks when you develop a dedication to knowing and applying the Word of God. There's two verses I'd like you to look at as we close this morning. Go, first of all, to a very familiar verse that I want you to see. Go to the book of Hebrews, if you would. Go to the book of Hebrews. As I read the Word of God, as I apply the principles of the Word of God, I'll begin to see things from His point of view. And that's what I want. I'm going to see things like God sees them. I can do that as I develop a focus on the Word of God. As my thoughts change, as my focus changes, as I fill my mind with the Word of God, then I push out the things of the world, and my behavior changes as a result. You know why you see such sin this morning among believers? You know why you wonder sometimes why the church is failing and people have stopped going? You know why you see believers doing things now that they wouldn't have done even 10 years ago? They've lost the focus on the book. That's why. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe churches that have taken the Word of God out of the hands of the people, they no longer know what the Word of God is. And if they do know what it is, they're not encouraged to study and read it. And as a result, the behavior starts to change and drift away. You will stay strong only as you feed upon the Word of God. If you feed on anything else, you're going to begin to drift. You're going to begin to drift. That book is your lifeline. That is how you change your mind about things. That's how you change your ways. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of thoughts and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You know why some Christians don't like the word of God? Because it shows them who they are. It identifies your thoughts. It gets in there and cuts you open and begins to show what you really are. And some people don't want to go through that process, so they just ignore the Word of God altogether. You see, folks, that book will help you discern good from bad. If you absorb the words of the Word of God, your thoughts will change, and as your thoughts change, your behavior will change. And so you seek the Word of God, and as you do that, it will accomplish its purpose, it will change your mind, it will adjust your thoughts, and your thoughts will become more and more like God's thoughts, which I'm assuming is what you want. Turn to the book of Psalms, if you would. Go to Psalm 119. As you are well aware, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's all about the Word of God. That tells you where God, what God thinks of his book. Turn to Psalm 119 and look at verse 15. Psalm 119, verse 15. That verse says, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. Meditate. Focus and think about and process and go over it and over it and over it. Have you ever taken a word, like one verse out of the Word of God and just thought about that verse for a while? Just take that verse and like the cow does, just chew it and swallow it and bring it up and chew it again and swallow it and bring it up and chew it again and just go over that verse over and over and over. That's what David is talking about. He's talking about meditating upon the Word of God. How does that occur? It occurs in your mind. Meditation starts here. And as you meditate upon the Word of God, it's going to change your mind. It's going to change how you think about things. As I respect God's ways, as I seek His Word, I develop His thoughts, and then I respect His ways as well. His ways become my ways, and that which I sought, I find in that process. And that process begins as I carefully study and absorb the Word of God. I don't know what God's individual will for you today is. I don't know what God is leading you to do specifically. But I can tell you what the will of God for every person in this place today, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, here is God's will. God wants you to walk in his ways. He wants you to walk in his ways. He wants you to walk like Jesus Christ. He wants you to be the example of Jesus Christ to this lost world. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. That's the goal of the Christian life. His ways are described throughout this book. And once you settle your salvation, you are changed into that person who can now walk as he has called you to walk. But it will never happen if you ignore the word of God. There is nothing more important to you, believer. Please hear me. If you hear nothing else this morning, please hear this. There is nothing more important to you in this life than the word of God. Nothing, nothing, nothing more important than that book. So it doesn't matter who you are this morning. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. You're on a search today. You're on a search. And the only difference in each person here this morning is what stage of the search you're on. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior today, if you're not sure about your eternal future, that search starts if you trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And you will end that search this morning if you trust the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior. If you know him as Savior, then you're either searching for his ways or his thoughts or his word. And when you find those things and incorporate them into your life, at that point in time, you will begin to look and talk and act just like Jesus Christ. All the way to heaven, looking just like him. If you choose not to, you'll be confused and disordered and your life will be crooked and you'll be walking in disobedience. Now you know.
You've come this morning. You've now heard it. You know what the search is all about. My question to you is this. What are you going to do in response to what you've heard from the Word of God this morning? Heads bowed if you would.